Um, so without further ado, I'm going to hand over to George Smith to introduce this afternoon's speaker. George is a former head of departments and we're very grateful to him for introducing this lecture for us. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Well, welcome um, everybody to um, what I think still think of as Barnett's House. Some of you clearly think of it as that, but it's now the Department of Social Policy and Intervention um, and is a graduate teaching and research centre in the University of Oxford as it's been for many years. Um, um, I just want to say a little bit of, uh, about the department before turning to, to, to Jane, our speaker, to, today, um, and, and really to point out that the issue that she's talking about, which is breaking the cycle of disadvantage, has been an issue that the department in its many guises has been uh, focused on for basically since it started in 1914, so 100 years. Um, and not just research and inquiry, but uh, action and intervention, as we would now perhaps call it. Um, so if you think about uh, work of Violet Butler on the wall there, um, she was working in the village of Oxfordshire in the 1920s, um, introducing, uh, a, a, she had a, a, a traveling library and various community projects, which were intended to, if you like, promote uh, uh, projects in local areas and to, to try and get them taken up more widely by Oxfordshire. Um, if you move forward a bit rather rapidly um, into the um, 60s, in uh, the 1960s, Cherry Halsey there on the wall, who many of you will remember, um, was central to the development of what he called action research, but now might be called intervention research, which was based on testing out in small deprived areas particular educational and social policies over the 60s and 70s. Um, more recently, the department was involved in developing things like the indexes of multiple deprivation in the 2000s, which became new ways of measuring not just poverty nationally, but at very, very local level, and has since 2000 been the standard measure for measuring poverty at local level across the UK. So um, it's not a new uh, theme. Also, the issue of early education came up in the 1960s with the interventions that we did then. So the department has, I think, both a history of working in um, uh, disadvantaged areas, local uh, areas, uh, and particularly early education. So all these issues, I think, come together very well in the work that Jane is now going to tell us about. A um, little bit of a uh, word on, on Jane to introduce her. She first worked with us, I think we were trying to work it out in the early 1990s when I think she was still working on her doctorate or had just finished her doctorate at Nuffield College. She was working with us on a study of the take-up of disability benefits. Um, but she then went on to much greater things in Warwick and became Professor of Health, uh, Professor of Public Health um, and um, uh, Director of the, is it the, the Child Wellbeing Unit yes. the, um, in, in Warwick. Um, and she was recently appointed to the new post of Professor of Social Intervention and also um, Policy Evaluation. So we're very pleased to welcome her and hear about the Better Start as one of the latest initiatives in the attempts to break the cycle of disadvantage. Jane, thank, thank you. you. Okay, so th thank you all very much for coming. I always think the hardest thing about writing a lecture is sort of pitching it right, and the hardest thing about writing this lecture was really not knowing who the audience were that I was pitching it for, so uh, 
I, I start with a request to uh, just bear this in mind and uh, if it isn't quite what you were <laughs> anticipating, uh, I apologise. So I'm going to be talking about breaking the cycle of disadvantage and I'm going to be focusing, thank you, I'm going to be focusing on doing that um, using uh, one of the latest uh, versions of what we refer to as an area-based uh, intervention. So what I'm going to start by doing is to uh, describe uh, the, this new national initiative to you, the ABS, the Better Start. Uh, but before I do that, I really want to uh, describe to you the current context, really, for the development of this uh, latest iteration, if you like, of uh, area-based interventions. And I should say the slides are available afterwards if anybody would anybody would like a copy of them. So I want to talk about the context really in terms of economic developments that have taken place and in particular to focus really on poverty. Uh, but I also want to talk about the importance of bringing together the social and the biological because um, what, I, what I, I, I spent the last 10 years doing is, is, is being loca located in a medical school, was really learning about the uh, importance of the uh, biological. And I think we're now recognising that the social and the biological uh, uh, go hand in hand. So I really want to just say a little bit about that. And then uh, the remainder of the talk is just describing to you uh, fairly concisely, I hope, uh, the impact and economic uh, evaluation that we're, we're conducting and also the implementation evaluation that's going to hopefully elaborate uh, the sorts of changes that have taken place uh, on the ground in terms of services for very young children. So <coughs> thank you George for uh, that, you, st you stole my thunder no, rather. <laughs> That's absolutely fine. I just wanted to start by uh, contextualising it really in terms of the history of uh, Barnet House. Uh, as George said, it's not only its uh, uh, name that's uh, uh, undergone many changes over the, the past decade really, but uh, the, the focus of the research that's been going on is pretty well the same and it was established as an independent institution to advance the systematic study of current social and uh, economic questions uh, in 1914, and it is still doing that. But we are recognizing increasingly that uh, that this uh, department is doing it, doing it very well. The last rep, it was rated top in the country uh, as a department and second top internationally. Uh, which I think in a, uh, just over a, a century is, pre is pretty pretty impressive work, really. So the focus is really on uh, uh, the evaluation of uh, uh, national and local resource allocation, policy formulation, and uh, particularly uh, f focusing on uh, interventions. And the key area of research that's been has been the evaluation of interventions and policy, as George said, that can reduce uh, poverty. And of course there have been two key explanations of poverty. One has been uh, structural and the other has focused uh, more at the level of the individual. And so really that is where uh, we think of focusing in terms of bringing about change. So structural solutions have really uh, examine the effectiveness of uh, uh, employment strategies, financial solutions, things of that sort, uh, whereas uh, some of the individual level 
uh, uh, strategies are focused more primarily at working with some of the families who are living in poverty uh, in order to uh, enhance the chances of the next generation of children moving uh, moving out of that poverty. Uh, and it, it, it's really at, at that level that I'm going to be uh, uh, working and, and describing uh, this new intervention. So poverty then and now, poverty has changed quite radically uh, over, the, over the last century really, uh, but in many respects uh, it, it remains the same. So you know, we don't think of absolute poverty, we think now in terms of uh, relative poverty and uh, these very recent figures, 2016, uh, suggest that there are now uh, 28, a third of our children who are living in uh, relative poverty. And it had reduced, so poverty had reduced quite dramatically between uh, these periods, and that very much uh, reflected the, uh, or it reflected in part the focus of the governments uh, that were in charge at that time, and the sort of tax and benefit decisions that were made uh, to redistribute uh, uh, resources uh, more favourably for people who were uh, were dis disadvantaged, but those uh, uh, tax and benefit decisions have changed quite radically since uh, since 2010, and uh, the figures suggest now that the number of children living in, in relative poverty will have uh, risen from 2.3 to 3.6 million by uh, by 2020. So that uh, that that is still uh, climbing. And of course, the research tells us that poverty uh, continues to be a significant predictor of uh, poor outcomes, you know, across every aspect of, of children's development. So nutritionally, psychologically, educationally, um, all of these are affected by the child living in poverty. And, you know, we have evidence that this impact really begins very early in a child's life, um, as, as early as, as two years of age. So really, despite um, the improvements that we have in terms of absolute poverty, despite the fact that we have universal access to education and healthcare, you know, poverty really uh, continues uh, to be a significant predictor of poor outcomes, uh, as I said, across all of these uh, uh, outcome domains. And you know, we know that toddlers from very low-income families have uh, uh, below normal mental, motor and uh, behaviour scores. So as I said earlier, the impact of this is, is beginning uh, very, very early. And this is just one example of a whole plethora of studies, really, that uh, testify to the very early uh, impact of, uh, of poverty on children's development. But much of that research has really focused on, um, you know, outcomes in, in terms of sort of children's educational progress. And I think one of the things that has changed over the past uh, decade or couple of decades, really, is the sort of epidemiological work, really, or understanding of why it is, how it is, that such poverty can uh, impact uh, children's development uh, uh, so drastically. And the thing that we're beginning to recognise is that uh, it is the experience of chronic stress in very early, uh, in very early life that is, uh, uh, that's important. And it's important because this is the key period, really, or it's not the key period, but it's one of a number of key periods uh, when the brain is developing very, very rapidly. 
the first pregnancy in the first two years of life, and then again in you know adolescence we get these rapid uh, 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 periods of, of brain development, and so uh, you know the impact of adversity at that at those particular points are uh, are of course significant. So uh, the, this is a, a, a seminal paper that was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, and, and it's seminal really because it pulls together a lot, you know, a, a very large body of, of research to really help us to understand the fact that it's children's exposure to something that we've come to refer to as toxic stress, and, and toxic stress is something that occurs. Uh, more commonly in disadvantaged families because uh, they're experiencing you know, physical or emotional abuse, chronic neglect, parental substance misuse, domestic violence, severe mental health problems. Uh, the parents are experiencing these problems. And so, of course, that uh, we're beginning to uh, realise impacts the uh, parenting that these children receive uh, such that uh, it, it alters the brain architecture and reduces the, stress, the, the thresholds for stress and that these continue throughout the life course really uh, increasing the risk of stress-related disease and uh, cognitive impairment. So that's, that's a lot really packed into uh, one statement. And I want really in the next um, you know, few minutes just to unpack that a little bit. But I also wanted to just um, expose you to some of this uh, uh, recent sort of biological research, which has been very helpful because it shows us very clearly um, you know, the biological process that is happening when very young children are exposed to um, stressful household environments, uh, of parenting, parents who are stressed by mental health problems, stressed by intimate partner violence, uh, stressed by uh, poverty. And so we've got this very nice study that showed exposure to disadvantaged environments such as low income, low maternal education, unstable family structure and harsh parenting was associated with a reduced telomere length. And the telomere is, is the uh, tail end of the, uh, of the uh, gene. And so when that gets uh, compromised, that compromises uh, the child's uh, 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 well-being. So this is regarded as a reduced telomere length is regarded as being a, a biological marker of uh, chronic stress. And these children, of course, have, have uh, showing signs of this reduced telomere length by, uh, by nine years of age. And this is just one study, really. So we've got a whole host of them, and I've just given you a taster for some maternal depression, neighbourhood disorder, childhood adversities, exposure to violence, all of these uh, are associated with uh, you know, some sort of adverse uh, biological change in the, uh, in the body. And actually it's a very strong relationship, it's what we call a dose-dependent relationship. So um, the higher the uh, dose of stress, you get a proportionate increase in the uh, biological change that the adverse biological change that takes place. So Marmot, uh, Michael Marmot, a very prestigious uh, UK-based epidemiologist um, who's done you know a lot of significant work on uh, inequality, and you know he highlighted uh, pregnancy and the first two years as 
being a very key opportunity if we really want to equalize the life chances of uh, all children. He said, if we want to do it, this is the, uh, the key period in which we should be, be intervening. And this is because the origins of you know, much of our uh, adult diseases really lie in, in what he refers to as the developmental and biological disruptions occurring during the early years of life. And you know, very specifically, as a result of what he refers to, uh, or rather what these people refer to, as the biological embedding of adversities during sensitive developmental periods. And this is absolutely key. How, do, how does social adversity in our early life get under a child's skin? How does it become biologically embedded uh, such that it disadvantages that child as they, uh, as they go through life. Well, one thing we're very clear about is that parenting is, uh, you know, one of the key aspects of a child's environment uh, that can influence uh, positively or adversely their uh, long-term uh, development. And we know that really parenting can mediate uh, the impact of poverty. And we've got... Um, studies that uh, show a direct relationship and studies that show uh, an indirect relationship. So there's a significant body of research really uh, demonstrating an impact of all of these sorts of parental adversity on parenting, uh, on parenting across the child's lifespan. And of course, all of these sources of adversity, you know, aren't limited to disadvantaged families, but it's, it's you know, it's where the, the bulk of it uh, occurs. And then we've got a range of mediation studies that show an indirect pathway between uh, parenting income and uh, a range of uh, later outcomes, which, you know, we don't have time to explore in, in more detail. But this is the cycle, really, by which... Um, social adversity can become biologically embedded. So if we start up there with uh, you know, standard social disadvantage, whatever that looks like, poverty, um, we know that poverty is associated with all of these mental health problems, domestic violence, substance abuse. There's a very nice literature then that shows that those circumstances of parental adversity are strongly associated with um, adverse early life environment. And the sort of things we're talking about are, you know, chaotic households, uh, children being neglected, emotionally abused, children essentially experiencing what we're thinking of as uh, toxic stress. And of course, toxic stress has an adverse effect, uh, I've said, on the uh, fetal HPA axis, so it's affecting adversely before the baby's born. But there's also a literature showing postnatally uh, toxic stress has a very damaging uh, effect on the child's rapidly developing uh, neurological system. That, of course, uh, means that the child has an adverse uh, uh, you know, set of neurodevelopmental circumstances it is compromising their all aspects of their development, their emotional, their social, their behavioural, their cognitive. These children are compromised, you know, as a result of the, that social adversity and the way it's affected them biologically. And of course, that compromises their life chances. So they do less well at school, uh, they do less well in terms of their, uh, their work, and of course, they finish up back in social adversity. And then, you know, so the cycle goes on. And that really, I think, is um, a 
very powerful argument for us uh, beginning to, uh, you know, beginning to unpick this and think about it very carefully in terms of uh, what we do in the uh, in the very early years. So this is the uh, one of the Shonkoff papers, and he he just to summarise says that uh, the toxic stress, this severe stress. Uh, disrupts the development brain architecture and other organ systems and regulatory functions and it affects the physiology, it affects the behaviour and it affects learning in terms of linguistic, cognitive and, and other skills. And the other thing that it does is uh, result in increased stress-related uh, chronic disease, unhealthy lifestyles and widening um, health disparities. So a better start is the uh, sort of uh, latest attempt, if you like, uh, to uh, think about using an area-based intervention to try and intervene somewhere to uh, break that cycle of disadvantage. And if we go back to there, you know, this sort of intervention isn't attempting to address the structural aspects of the poverty. It isn't taking away the poverty. Uh, what it's doing is intervening somewhere down here to say, you know, we've got to uh, attempt to uh, remove this parental adversity in some way so that we're not compromising the child's life chances of, as a result of their exposure to this, uh, to this toxic stress. So we have a, uh, there's a history of area-based interventions, not just in this country, but um, internationally. And of course, we have Naomi Eisenstadt here, who uh, was the architect of uh, one of the uh, biggest that this country's experienced, the, Sh the, the Sure Start program. Uh, the uh, Sure Start program, of course, was, I think I'm right in saying this, you will correct me, Naomi, if I've got any of this wrong, but uh, was based on the, the US Head Start and uh, early Head Start initiatives, which were uh, conducted in, in the US and which found uh, some mixed, though mostly positive evidence of benefits in terms of education and uh, parenting outcomes. But Sure Start was essentially, you know, our own uh, attempt to uh, to provide uh, very early uh, area-based services to families living in deprived uh, locations, really with the aim of improving, you know, outcomes across across just about all domains. You know, the nutrition, the socio-emotional development, uh, and the the language and the learning. Sure, start had mixed outcomes. So this is the findings from the uh, the BMJ paper that uh, Belsky published. There were it was a very large complex evaluation and the results uh, were uh, very uh, complex, but they were uh, mixed in terms of the, the sorts of benefits that were realized. So you can see that uh, the SSLP stands for Sure Start Local Programs um, had some beneficial effects on uh, non-teenage parents, for example. They found better parenting, better social functioning in children. But then there appeared to be adverse effects for other groups, t teenage mothers. Can yes, I just say that yes. That that finding was true for 2005, but was evened out in 2007. Was it? Okay. So, so this bit, this bit went. The, yeah, okay, okay. Okay. So that was, a, that was a longer term, yeah. the longer term. So this was the immediate short yeah, term first, outcomes the and then the longer term. Yeah. And then we put in, um, sorry, we put in um, uh, outreach, assertive outreach okay. to get the team mothers in. And, and that resolved it. Yeah. Okay, super. So I, I will change that. Please. 
Okay, so um, it was, um, I think for me, one of the, 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 the weakest part of the model, and the thing that we've tried to build on and learn from is, is the fact that sites were able to do what they wanted yes. fundamentally. Um, and with the, this newer model, we've been very prescriptive at some level in the sense that, of saying that you know, they needed to use evidence-based uh, um, interventions, and we provided them with clear indication about what the evidence-based interventions were. Anyway, these area-based initiatives really require a, a significant investment, and there haven't been any other attempts to do this in the UK until uh, a Better Start initiative, which Naomi was also a very significant uh, architect in. So Better Start is a test and learn programme. Uh, it's investing uh, a total of around 215 million between 2015 and 2025 across five uh, local area partnerships. And these are the uh, places, Bradford, Blackpool, Lambeth, Nottingham, and South England-on-Sea. <coughs> and these sites effectively, um, I don't know whether I should say won it, but these sites, um, t <laughs> they uh, uh, applied for uh, this funding. It, it was narrowed down to 40, then down to 15, I think, Naomi, and then these five uh, were thought to be the ones who put together the, uh, uh, the best programme. And so they were awarded, uh, uh, well, around uh, anywhere between 30 and 40 million uh, pounds each. And that really, uh, was money that was to be used to reorganise uh, services for uh, uh, pregnant women uh, and their children uh, through to three years of age, um, and so that these were they were uh, to use the money to introduce uh, new evidence-based services targeted across that period, and also to enhance the Healthy Child Programme. The Healthy Child Programme is a national health promotion programme that is uh, supposed to be commissioned across all um, all local authorities, but it is, uh, uh, sorry, or CCGs, it, it, it isn't a lot of the time because of uh, funding uh, restrictions. So really the aim is to enhance the provision that's already already there. And the focus of the programmes on parenting and community development for the reasons that I've uh, just talked about. Uh, so we're really, uh, uh, the, a group of us called the Warwick Consortium, who I'll describe at the end, uh, applied for the uh, funding to evaluate this national initiative and uh, were successful. And so what we're focusing in, in this ABS evalu evaluation is the impact of ABS on diet and nutrition, socio-emotional development, and the language and learning of uh, socio-economically disadvantaged uh, children. So these are our hypotheses. So we think that, or we hope that a better start will have an impact on uh, children's, uh, all of these outcomes that I've just talked about, between three and seven years of age. So we're following these families from 28 weeks of pregnancy uh, up to seven years of age. We think that the impact of the programme will be mediated by a change in parental functioning, including their uh, mental health and their parenting practices. That is, of course, consistent with um, you know, the model that I've just talked about, and it's also the underpinning logic, if you like, in terms of the uh, way in which services are being uh, delivered uh, on the ground. So they're really aiming to put in place services that will break that cycle of, of disadvantage or intervene in that cycle of disadvantage uh, that I just showed you. 
So uh, a we think that a range of process factors are also going to be influential in terms of the outcomes. So uh, things such as the level of service provision, uh, the integrity really with which, service with, with which services are delivered uh, will really be uh, influential in terms of modifying the success of the programme. So we we're wanting to examine the setup and implementation. We want to assess the impact of the programme, both within the areas and uh, across the areas. And we're aiming to disseminate the learning across uh, areas, but the areas that are involved, but also uh, more widely than that. And we've got three work streams. Uh, one is an implementation evaluation, which is aiming to look at the services and how they're all uh, set up and the quality and the integrity with which they're delivered. We've got an impact and economic evaluation, which I'll tell you a little bit more about, and we've also got a, a learning and dissemination uh, a strand of work that's extending across the, the five areas. So let me just tell you a little bit about the uh, impact and economic evaluation. So this is going to be a very large cohort study. We're going to track uh, this cohort of families across all of the, uh, uh, all of the five sites and 15 matched uh, uh, counterfactual uh, or comparison sites from, uh, we were going to start at, at the beginning of next year, but it may be that we're going to have to uh, delay that start, uh, but we haven't actually started the uh, data collection stage yet. These are our three outcomes, so we've got a, a variety of measures really that are aimed at capturing those, and as I said, we're following families from uh, pregnancy to seven years of age. We don't need to go into the detail on this on this slide in particular. It was really just about uh, uh, enabling people to understand how we uh, matched our counterfactual sites. And as you can see, we've gone to great lengths really to ensure that there uh, is a very uh, that they're very similar. So we selected three areas for each site, which had the uh, the shortest distance, if you like, in terms of. Uh, some of these uh, indicators that we've, we've talked about here. So we're doing a, a baseline data collection. So we can't do a randomised control trial for something like this. We're doing something that's called a difference in, uh, in difference design. Uh, we have got our counterfactual sites. Uh, and we are going to also have some baseline data. So before the, uh, the new services were, were put in place, uh, we've collected baseline data from all of our sites, from mothers of one-year-old, two-year-olds, and three-year-olds, which are our key uh, outcome points. So we will have baseline data on the functioning of one, two, and three-year-olds uh, before we make the changes um, in these sites. These are the, uh, uh, our five sites, and you can see they also shows our matched comparison sites. Those are the little blobs, and then the squares are some of our pilot sites that we've been testing everything in. So you can see it's sort of spread out um, over, uh, over England. This is the number of families that we intend to recruit. So we're hoping to have uh, 24 to 32 weeks around uh, 1,700 in our ABS sites and 1,100 or 200 in our comparison sites. We expect there to be loss across these years. And so uh, you know, we really need by three years of age to ensure that uh, loss isn't any, uh, any more than that for us to have sufficient power to detect differences across our our different uh, sites. 
Ipsos Mori are working with us on the data collection and uh, that we're recruiting mothers and their partners into the study at 24 to 32 weeks of pregnancy and there will be a, after that a series of face-to-face -face and postal interviews, paper questionnaires for partners and measures with the child from, uh, from five years of age. So we're going to use, we're going to collect not only individual level data, this is the usual psychometric and biometric data, but we're also going to be collecting a lot of population level data uh, uh, across the areas, that is. So we're hoping that people will sign up, they'll consent to give permission for us to use their birth records of their child, for us to collect all of this data here about the weight, type of delivery, gestation. At 24 to 32 weeks, she'll be asked for permission for us to have access to her hospital episodes, statistics, hospital inpatient, outpatient, uh, all of this sort of data. And we're also hoping to access the child's ASQ3 data. So every child has an ages and stages questionnaire uh, uh, collected on them uh, when the child is two years of age and we're hoping to be able to access that uh, data as well. Uh, at three years we're going to be linking with the National Pupil data set and then we're going also to be collecting educational uh, data at five, six and seven years, although we plan, we, we anticipate that we may have to uh, modify this in some way because the sort of data that's being uh, collected now is, is changing, so uh, some of the things we anticipated collecting aren't, aren't going to be available anymore. So a series of surveys starting in pregnancy, we're going to use a range of validated measures and survey questions. So you can see these, these are examples of some of the things. Edinburgh postnatal depression will help us to know how many women are depressed postnatally. There's the uh, brief infant toddler socio-emotional assessment, that is as it says, an assessment of the toddler's emotional and social development, food intake, mother's bonding with the baby, uh, maternal anxiety, so this is a state trait anxiety infant inventory, the child's cognitive ability, the British ability scale, so there's a, 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 a significant number of uh, recognised measures that we're going to use to uh, try and assess the, uh, the outcome. And we've also built some biological measures in to uh, assess whether these are uh, impacting on the child's um, biology in terms of their stress so we're going to have hair samples both from the uh, both from the mother and the child at two years of age and that will enable us to measure uh, the stress hormone cortisol and we'll, we're also going to do a buccal swab uh, to measure uh, epigenetic and genetic changes uh, that are also we think will have occurred as a result of either the stress that the child's exposed to or, or the fact that they're not uh, and these interventions appear to have uh, made a difference. Height and weight we're collecting, we're going to do a three minute video recording of the parent-infant interaction at 12 months and we're going to also be looking at the home learning environment um, at three years of age. A whole pile of child report data, so we're going to uh, uh, invite children to take part in a number of assessments of their language at different points. We've got a measure of attachment at three years and a measure of self-esteem and feelings about school uh, at five years. And these are the points at which we're going to be uh, doing our data collection. So you can see it's fairly uh, frequent. Quite a few of them are face to face, but we've also got a couple in there that are postal or, uh, or, or online. 
and then these this one just shows you the point at which we're collecting our additional assessments on our on our subsample because of course we can't do these are very expensive to do these measures and we can't do them on the entire sample so we're going to be doing them in a, uh, in a subsample and we're also collecting economic data so the uh, service use data we will be collecting at each of those data collection points uh, we'll be asking uh, the families how often during the past six months they've used a wide range of services uh, for uh, families and we're also going to be uh, attaching costs to these services and then comparing the costs across the ABS and comparison sites and we're going to combine our cost data with our, uh, uh, with our impact data to look at uh, the cost effectiveness of the uh, service, we hope. Uh, so I don't need to, uh, to you know, go into much detail about the data analysis. It's, uh, uh, we haven't yet completely decided what that's going to look like. There is a paper that's just been published in the BMJ Open, if anybody wants to read about this in all its uh, sorted details. <laughs> and then there is the implementation data. And the aim of this really is to get a really good sense of the services on the ground that uh, families have received, the quality of them, the integrity with which they uh, have been uh, delivered, so that we can get a sense of the sort of service trajectories that people have e experienced and those service trajectories that we, uh, we think are associated with, uh, with better outcomes. So the aim of this is to get a better understanding of what has worked for, uh, for which families under which set of circumstances. So as you can see here, these are our, uh, these are our re research questions and we're going to profile all of the services. Uh, we're going to do that on an annual basis and see uh, that they're continuing to be delivered in the way that we anticipated them uh, being delivered. We're also going to collect a lot of uh, what we call process data, so we're going to talk to families, we're going to talk with key stakeholders, and we're really going to aim to get a good sense of uh, you know, what people liked, what they didn't like, what was being delivered well, what wasn't being delivered well, uh, you know, people's views about this, uh, this new service. And then this is the team, essentially. So you can see it's a big team of us. Uh, it is uh, uh, what we call a consortium, so we've got... Uh, me at the top, Jeff Lindsay from uh, Warwick, Stavros from Warwick, he's our health economist, Cathy Silver from Oxford and Sandra Mathers, we've got King's College London for our, uh, our uh, uh, midwife, Professor of Evidence-Based Midwifery, Vivek Glover is a, a Professor of Perinatal Psychobiology, we've got Caroline Summerbell at Durham, Bryce Purden are our statisticians, Alistair Leyland at Glasgow is a statistician, and then we've got Ipsos Mori and Ecoris who are going to help us with the, with the field surveys and learning and dissemination needs. So it is a, uh, it is a very uh, large, uh, a large team of us. <laughs> and these are the uh, websites that are available, so if you're interested in uh, uh, finding out any more about it. Evaluation and learning is on that website at the top. The respondent facing website is that address there. And then we've got uh, a website that we call the Science Within, which was all of the preliminary work that was done really to uh, build on the learning that came out of, uh, you know, Sure Start uh, in terms of, um, you know, what needs to be in place on the ground if you're going to stand any chance whatsoever of, of bringing about, you know, reducing stress in families where there's significant disadvantage. 
and I think that is the last slide. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much.